Hey, welcome everyone to the Phantom Analytics Podcast, the Fanalytics Podcast with Mike Lewis, joined by Mr. Doug Battle. How are you, Doug? Doing well, Mike. March Madness is upon us, and I'm not complaining. Filled out my bracket last night. Oh, that's the worst tease ever because this week, <laughs> doing the standard podcast, we are in, we're, we're giving you guys something a little bit different, right? So, the Phantom, the Fanalytics podcast has a bit of a dual message, right? We're a dual mission. We are oriented towards producing content with, you know, sort of a strong academic background that also hits kind of the key topics. And we, look, we try and do it in a fun, free-spirited way. Um, as part of that mission, we have, um, we've developed some, we, we've produced some podcasts in t- conjunction with some of the students at Emory through a class that I taught with Jay Busby. So the, the class was actually called Storytelling and Analytics. Um, you can find those episodes in, in our archive. But the work product of that, and we're going to preview one of them just for a little bit and then sort of turn the tape over and you can hear what the students produced, was the students would actually record an audio podcast. Uh, Doug, the, the one we're going to showcase this week is the students took a look at what I think is a growing phenomena, essentially, of all the different channels and platforms blending. Um, specifically, mm. they were looking at... Uh, instances where TV shows or stream TV shows came out of video games. Um, you know, for example, one of the, one of the properties they're going to talk about is the Witcher. So Netflix took this video game concept called the Witcher. Um, and I, and I know it's more than a video game concept and turned it into a TV show for Netflix. Yeah. We're seeing more and more of that nowadays. I recently saw a trailer for the super Mario movie coming to theaters this summer, I believe. Um, and, and it makes sense, Mike, if for those who have paid attention and it's something I actually studied in school it, in media, like in film, for example, there's been a huge drift toward and it makes sense from a business standpoint, from risk taking and, and telling new stories that may or may not strike a chord with an audience to taking something that's we know is successful. We know people like and finding new ways to monetize that. And so we've seen that, of course, I mean, the classic example is sequels and prequels with Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and all these franchises that have fandoms. But video games have massive fandoms. The industry is, I believe, more profitable than music and film combined. And so, Doug, I'll add to that. If you look at revenue, the video game industry dwarfs all the other entertainment industries. you know, particularly the size of it is truly amazing because it's not just PlayStation. It's not just computer games. It's also every, you know, every Candy Crush player on their phone. So the mm-hmm. the video game industry is, frankly, it is the engine behind entertainment at this point. Yeah, and we've talked about that with Todd Harris uh, in our esports episodes over the years. But, you know, I, I think it's no surprise that video games are taking that step and are continuing to take that step into television, into film, because like I said, there are those built-in fandoms. There's a built-in audience who's, whether they like it or not, you know, it's much like Star Wars. I'm going to watch the next Mandalorian episode. I might not like it, but I am a built-in Star Wars fan who is going to consume that. From a business standpoint, if you want a built-in fandom right there and, and you your choices to put in, you know, pour money, invest money into a project that you know people are going to watch 
first one and you have no idea, um, I think any investor is going to go toward the one they know people are going to watch. So that's the case. I expect to see probably oversaturation of this market um, if, if it's not there already. We've seen quite a bit. You know, I think Halo's got a project. Um, there was a film with Tom Holland based on a, a adventure video game. We, I mean, we're seeing more and more, like I mentioned, Super Mario Bros. And so, I, and by the way, I would have been all over that as a kid. And I think it's interesting having your students, Mike, do a podcast on this because these, this is a generation that grew up in, in gaming. Like they're, that's native to them. Um, and, and so, and these film products, I think, and TV products, a lot of them are directed at that generation specifically. So to hear their responses and their thoughts on it from a business perspective uh, is, is quite interesting to me. Yeah, you know, Doug, and I'll just add one more point, and you can react to that, and then we'll sort of turn over the we'll turn over the recording to the students. I thought yeah. it was really interesting how you talked about from a business standpoint, right? It's like there are these leverage, there are these brands that they feel like they can leverage. You know, they can take that fan base. You know, we, I mentioned The Witcher, right? The Witcher was a series of books that became video games and now a TV show. <laughs> uh, you mentioned The Lord of the Rings, right? These classic books that became kind of classic films and now is extending to sort of endless series on, you know, on Amazon Prime. Well, that also is a huge video game franchise. Yeah, of so, course. So we, yeah. we're seeing we're seeing this blending. Um, I can't help it. And again, you know, we'll, we'll let the students deal with some of it. the the one The one my one reaction to talking about like this monetization is, God, these guys need to be careful about the artistic integrity of these. You know what happens with these? And again, it's like what happens with these classic stories, these classic properties that then become full-on brands that are extended upon and put into different platforms. That's the worrying element for me. Yeah, and I think it can feel like a cash grab to the diehard fans. We've seen that with Star Wars. The, I mean, Star Wars fans were critical of the prequel movies and the sequels took it to the next level. And now a lot of the television content is the same. Uh, I, I think the nuanced fans to the original works tend to be critical of products that feel like a cash grab and you know anything you know that that stems from the original isn't going to be the original so you know there were lord of the rings fans who were critical of the films when they came out and now those films are held as classics but we criticize the tv show for not holding up to the films and it just kind of and it's been the same with star wars i mean i think those are the two easiest examples but it's no different when these video games turn to television into film and the characters change the narratives change the field changes, the sound, the score changes. A lot of it is different and that's going to be well received by some, but to many who, who are skeptical, um, who are jaded by how the industry operates, are going to look at it and say, this is a cash grab. They're taking something sacred and making it into a commercial product. And I am no longer a fan of this. I'm actually, I think fans become haters that way, Mike. Okay. So you it's guys like an anti-fan. Absolutely. So you guys can tell this is a great topic from a business point of view. Also has serious implications for, you know, the, the artistic world. So we're, you know, very happy that we can bring this to you guys. And uh, but beyond that, we'll be back with more kind of standard Fanalytics content next week. Hello and welcome everyone to GBS Creators Podcast, the show that brings the most creative but less talked about subjects with detailed views and metrics. I'm your host, Murli Singh, and today we are discussing about a topic from console 
to Clicker with our three awesome guests, Ram, Ryan, and Nikhil. Um, as we all know, film and TV studios have been adapting video games for decades now. But despite the uh, success of the games, these productions have often been mediocre at best. Uh, yet, some of these most popular uh, shows uh, recent have been based on the video games. Uh, perhaps because the video games market uh, is valued at over $200 billion. And uh, uh, there are over 2.7 billion people playing some form of uh, video game. So today, uh, we want to look into why these adaptions continue to be produced and what separates the successful ones from not so uh, good ones. Um, so for this podcast, uh, we will focus on three most popular TV shows produced on the most popular ODT platform, Netflix. And the three shows we're going to talk about is the Castlevania, Witcher, and Arcane. Graham... Uh, my one of my guests, my awesome guest, he's going to talk about Castlevania. Nikhil will provide his views on The Witcher, and Ryan will shed light on the arcade. So, without further ado, I would like to welcome our guests. Thank you for joining us, guys. Um, so, before, uh, so for, I will kick things off with Graham with you first. So, could you please elaborate for our listeners and the viewers what uh, the Castlevania game is? Yeah, yeah, of course. Thanks, Marley. Thinking about Castlevania, it's a game that's been around for close to 35 years, uh, the first edition coming out in 1986. Um, and it's largely focused on the Belmont family of vampire killers kind of hunting Dracula, um, probably one of the most famous vampires of all. And the games themselves, they are uh, platformers, uh, so kind of an old school game where you're kind of jumping around, largely focused on exploration, largely in Dracula's castle. Um, um, and it really kind of helps spawn this idea of this, this game that you'll hear about called Metroidvania. So based on you know, part of the Castlevania name where tons of games the past 30 years have been based on this idea where you're kind of exploring an area, you're platforming around, you're kind of jumping around. And as you go, you explore, you, you can unlock new areas. It's very nonlinear. You're going back and forth. You're returning to old areas of the game to discover new things that were previously inaccessible. But over the course of the, the 30 years, they've been kind of marked as like the, the, the fourth best video game franchise of all times behind Mario, Zelda, and Final Fantasy. They put out 30 plus games. Um, they've sold like probably 30 million different, you know, 30, 30 million copies of all their games total. Uh, so a lot of cool stuff, really focusing on this kind of gothic horror. You're a vampire hunter going out killing vampires. Uh, thank you, Graham. Uh, 530 million is a lot of copies. Uh, Nikhil, I will uh, move over to you. Uh, can you talk about The Witcher, the game, for our viewers? Yes, of course. So, uh, The Witcher is more of those classic-style RPG games. So, it really is a game that lends itself well to media, where you are taking control of The Witcher. You are being Geralt or Geralt of Rivia himself, and you are going on his quests. You are eating his food. You are you know, sleeping with people. It's a great game, um, and really it is sort of that action RPG where you get to pretend to be the Witcher, you get to fight monsters and fight people and just have fun. Now, there are three games in the series so far. They take place mainly after, like, the first or second book, but they do take place based off of the books as well. And so they do have a lot of lore that they draw from, a lot of uh, basically background material that people can use to make and make those games really accessible. And one of the things is we've seen is that those games have done really well. I think Witcher 3 sold about 
40 million copies in its first release. Um, and w- that's really accounts for almost 60% of all the Witcher sales. And there's only three games so far, so they've been doing really well. And it was really exciting to see a TV adaption of the games. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, Ryan, over to you. Can you talk about the Arcane game for our viewers? Yeah, for sure. So Arcane is based on uh, a video game called League of Legends. Um, it is what's called a MOBA game, a multiplayer online battle arena. Um, it's a little bit different from the other games talked about in that it is only multiplayer. There's no single player. There's no campaign. Um, the player controls one of around 200 champions. The champions are kind of the main characters, um, and they battle against 5v5 against another team in order to destroy their base. Um, the show specifically focuses on two of these uh, champions, Violet and Jinx. Um, they're two sisters who live in a part of this world called, um, it's kind of a dual city called Piltover and Zaun. It's kind of a steampunk-esque setting. Um, and it's kind of about these two characters' upbringing, and it incorporates uh, a few more of those 200 champions throughout the storyline. Um, other than that, it's a very popular game across the world. It has, at its peak, um, 111 million monthly players, uh, so one of the largest and most successful games of all time. Perfect. It's interesting to like hear how they chose those two players from the whole game for the, uh, the adaption. So that brings me to perfectly our second uh, thing that I want to uh, inquire on. It's like, can you elaborate on the video game adaptation? Is it a success? It is mediocre at best. And if you guys can provide some kind of data or metrics around it, that would be so great for our viewers. Uh, Graham, I will start with you again. Explain the sequence. Yeah, I think it's like, I think the reason we are talking about these shows in particular is because they are all kind of successes in kind of in similar ways um, in kind of different ways as well. Um, speaking for Castlevania, it's a show that, it's a game that's been turned into a show for, you know, a while. I know they chopped around a movie back in like the, a TV show back in the 90s, chopped around a movie back in like the early 2000s. And they kind of developing the show it took about a decade to kind of get it off, off the ground. So it finally came out in 2017, but it was kind of sitting in development hell for, for five, seven years. Um, but in terms of success, it's like they, they kind of took an interesting approach to it where they released the first season, which is only a couple, I think four episodes. As a kind of like way to test the waters, so they kind of kind of did a cheap way to kind of put it out there, but then really got a really great response. Um, and like the second season was ordered the same day that the first season came out, they saw this was kind of like a huge push for it. Um, the second season, basically, it's like hard to find numbers, as we all know. Netflix can be a bit cagey about it. Um, so for the second season, I think we know that there is about like thirty million viewers for the second season, and then kind of reportedly for the third season, that it, you know there was unusual growth for the number of viewers um, that it grew like many multiples of time from like between those two seasons. We saw a huge number of viewers that don't have the exact number. Um, it was definitely on the top, you know, 10, 15 shows from multiple countries for kind of for that year. Uh, one of the best, best animated shows for Netflix kind of during this time. Uh, so it's kind of a huge success in terms of getting a lot of viewers, but also taking, I think it was interesting about these shows that like there's a very different levels of how much plot already exists where I think for Arcane, it's like, you know, when you play the game, like, there's not really a plot. And there's, like, the account maybe throughout the game that I have a little bit of it. Versus, like, The Witcher, where there's, like, you know, you could probably just, like, watch The Witcher game and just, like, kind of see a whole story. Or Castlevania falls somewhere in the middle where there is a thin plot for each game, but there's not as much going on. Um, so that kind of how a lot of 
wiggle room to kind of take these characters, take the general outline of, you know, these good guys fighting Dracula and kind of turning it into a much more fleshed out story with kind of multiple storylines. Gotcha. 30 million viewers is a lot, uh, to be honest. Nikhil, I will move it, uh, move on to you. Like, same question. Can you talk about the game adaptation, how it is? Success? Mediocre? Yeah, of course. So, I think, uh, as was said before, since it is based off books and since the video game is a very story-driven video game, it really has lent itself well to a TV adaption. Uh, there has been uh, a lot of, you know, growth and interest in just fantasy live-action TV. You know, probably mostly because of Game of Thrones, but we had Lord of the Rings. We've had a lot of great CGI innovations and whatnot that really allowed The Witcher to be such a success. Now, I think because of that, it has shown it's been doing very well. One fact that uh, I found very interesting is because of the TV show, it actually boosted sales of the video game by about 500%, selling, uh, I want to say, 20 million more copies after the TV show had run, which was already a couple years after the last game. And that's pretty incredible because also the TV show takes place before the games. And so what we see is really that gamers really enjoyed seeing that character that they got to play. They got to live that character's life. And now they get to see him on the big screen, on their TVs, and see his story from a new, more nuanced perspective. And I think that's something that really resonated with people. Now, on the other hand, we saw that The Witcher actually resonated well with people who haven't played the game. I mean, Netflix did release that... The Witcher is one of the top uh, shows on its platform with a viewership, hours viewed, of around 400 to 500 million uh, for season one and season two separately, 400 to 500 million each, showing that uh, The Witcher really has been a success. And I think that's something to the fact of the popularity of Game of Thrones, of the popularity of other uh, fantasy shows like, say, The Walking Dead or Lost, which have really grown this interest in this sort of dark fantasy that The Witcher can really profit off of and show how it can do well based off of the great source material it has. Perfect. Uh, having, like, myself watched the season and not played the game, I can completely echo with what you are saying. And also, uh, the TV show boosted the sales of the game. That's pretty interesting. So, Ryan, um, I will move on to you. The same question. Can you talk about the Arcane adaptation? Yeah, so I think kind of across the board, Arcane has really been considered a success, uh, both with critics and with kind of fans of the game or your more casual audience. Um, you know, starting off with how uh, how the critics viewed it, you know, it's got a 100% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes with 22 critics reviewed. This is actually the highest of any Netflix original show that's on the platform. So it's higher than your Stranger Things, um, your Witcher, um, you know, your Bridgerton, all that original content. It's got the highest uh, highest critic rating. It won four Emmys, three for uh, animation, one for sound editing. Um, you know, so it's very, very well reviewed by critics. Um, as we all know, you know, your, your general audience can sometimes very much disagree with critics. But, you know, in this case, uh, it also has a 97 percent. Um, on Rotten Tomatoes by audience score, uh, which once again is the one of the highest um, out of all the Netflix original shows. On IMDb, which is kind of the premier rating website for, for TV shows, it has a 9.3 out of 10, which is kind of up there with similar ratings you'd see from some huge behemoths like your Game of Thrones, your Breaking Bads, you know, these really, uh, really huge breaking shows. 
Um, while it was released in terms of viewership, it was briefly the most watched show on Netflix for the month it released, and it streamed around 120 million hours, which you know is not huge, maybe compared to like a Squid Game or something like that. But it's definitely a a very respectable, um, a very respectable watch time. So definitely well reviewed and uh, did well on the platform, kind of across the board. Perfect. Those are too many watch hours. <laughs> Uh, so next thing that I could not put my head around, there are so many games out there, right? What made these few games so special uh, that they made a cut for a video game adaptation? Graham, I will start with you. Like, why this game? Yeah, it's a great question. Just considering, I mean, like, as you've mentioned, like, there have been so many video game adaptations, like, coming through the past few years. We know there's, you know, probably 15 or 20 in the works and probably a lot coming out this kind of, this coming up year. So it's like, I think it's largely thinking about, it's so not necessarily like why these games are being adapted because like tons of games are being adapted. There's very few major games that like haven't tried yet. Mm-hmm. I think it's like why these have got to, why these games in particular are successful. Um, so I think for like Castlevania, I think why this has been made, because, you know, as I said, it's like, you know, one of the, the, one of the fourth most important franchise well, several of the games ended up on like lists for like top 100 games kind of video games ever made. I think this one is also just like I think the content is like really interesting. You know, like vampire, you know, vampire shows come all the time. Twilight, massive. Um, they're constantly making new Dracula movies. There's one coming out this year. So I think this, in terms of this, like the premise of this is 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 very salient. It's very popular. There's tons of kind of vampire stuff coming out. And Gothic horror is also pretty big. Um, I think also think about they have like 30 years of of material to kind of pull from. So there's like like tons and tons of storylines and characters that they can, that they can look to and kind of see what works in terms of the show. It's also like they were able to pull from like several different games and kind of plot lines to kind of form like what kind of became the main through line for it, for the show. Um, but I think also kind of leads to some longevity where the first four seasons focused on like, you know, it took place over the course of a couple of, like, of, you know, maybe a year or two, like it's set in like the 1450s. But the fifth season is going to be a departure. It's more of like a spinoff where it's taking place during the French Revolution, which is jumping forward up, up until the 1800s, focusing on descendants of of, uh, of kind of the main characters in the original series. So you kind of leads to a lot of cool things. But like some of like the Castlevania games take place in the future, taking place in like 2035. So there's like lots of options where like a lot of stories that they can tell because um, there's just so much Castlevania content that exists. Thank you. That makes perfect sense. Nikhil, uh, same question to you. Like, why this game was chosen for adaptation? Yeah, now, uh, there is a degree of just, this is the safest bet, to be honest. Uh, you know, as I said before, Game of Thrones, Lost, Walking Dead, uh, there are a ton of shows that have come out that have really done well. And I think Game of Thrones is uh, really a phenomenon because it did get audiences interested in a wide wide swath to these sort of fantasy shows and the witcher is just right up there story-wise it is a dark fantasy with very nuanced characters very interesting characters great combat there's a lot of romance sexual tension there's comedy even and great music even and i think one other thing is you see that the witcher is based off of a book series and a video game series that already have uh, quite a big fan base. So there's just a strong degree of that safeness of it being like sort of the obvious choice. Beyond that, though, I do also think that The Witcher, in general, as you play it as an RPG, you really get to live that story and be that story. So it's really easy to take that 
and put it on the screen without really changing much. You can really put it on the screen pretty easily, put it on the screen where people can live that story now through the screen. And I think that's something that uh, fans definitely enjoyed. Definitely. Uh, Ryan, same question to you. Like, why the arcane game was chosen for adaptation? Yeah, I think first off, similar to um, The Witcher, it just has this huge player base where you have a very, you know, devoted fan base. Like I said, 111 million uh, players in one month. <clears throat> so, you know, you just have a very solid fan base to, to, get a, to get a, you know, viewer base at the very start. Beyond that, it's a little bit different from The Witcher and Castlevania in that, uh, you know, like I said, League of Legends has no single player. It has no campaign. Um, you know, I have played the game for nine years and I could not tell you basically a single bit of lore about any of the characters. Basically, each character just has like a write up of a page saying, hey, here's who this who this character is. Here's kind of their background. But it's really not an, an integral part to the game. And what this does for the creators is that it gives the um, studio a lot of freedom in how they want to portray things and how they really want to bring these words to life. Um, so, you know, I think that kind of lent itself really well in this case. Um, beyond that, I think that the, the, the animation style is very unique. Um, it's something that really hasn't been really been done before. Um, and while the overall story is very fantasy esque, um, you know, you know, high fantasy sometimes doesn't have a huge appeal to people. Um, the focus of the story is really kind of on, on, you know, more grounded topics like family and growing up and confronting your past. Um, and then it kind of ties in with with current events and in um, relatable themes with class tensions and things like that. So it's not just kind of like your good guy versus your bad guy kind of story, um, which I think lends itself really well to um, this format in this case. <clears throat> gotcha. Quite a gamer you are, uh, Ryan. Uh, we have talked about good things, all these amazing things, but let's switch our gear a little bit. Talk about what is not so good about these adaptations, uh, Graham. Again, I will start with you. Like, what's no, what's not so good about um, uh, yeah. the adaptation? Yeah, I mean, Castlevania certainly has lots of praise for its animation style, its voice acting, um, but like you know, it's it's definitely not without its issues. I think some things that are that have been talked about on the internet, kind of brought up in articles and reviews, and things that I experienced too with with watching, is that you know, because the game. Is like you know, if you if you if you play Castlevania, it's largely just you just kind of jumping around a castle, which is not very interesting to watch. So they kind of had to turn then plot lines into kind of more like well thought out plot lines, and some of that was difficult to adapt. And it lead to some pacing issues where they didn't have as much like really clear stories to kind of use and adapt from. So there was some pacing issues, um, but also I think this is much feels a little more of a, of a niche program where it's fairly violent, it's pretty gory, it's pretty dark. Um, so I think it's, it, does, it doesn't appeal to people who aren't really interested in, you know, people exploding vampires and just, you know, fairly kind of dark <laughs> themes. Um, and of course, there's also some drama or there's definitely kind of issues outside of the show itself, too, where the creator and showrunner, Warren Ellis, um, a few years ago faced a lot of, like a, a, a kind of a lot of sexual misconduct allegations. And so I think that kind of reflects poorly on the show and, of course, on the creator. Um, and so I think good moving forward that he's kind of been removed from the show moving forward. So the new seasons will have his involvement. Um, but that's certainly, I think, kind of these like behind-the-scenes things that can definitely hurt a show as well. Uh, but hopefully they can kind of move forward and kind of without him and have it go, go well. You know, his work on the show, you know, was very influential. But hopefully they can kind of survive and kind of not have him as involved. 
Gotcha. Uh, Nikhil, same question to you. What's not, what's soon or not so good about uh, The Witcher? Yeah, so, I mean, if we want to start talking about news first, I think we obviously, there's the whole uh, Liam Hemsworth now taking over for Henry Cavill, which has been, uh, you know, fans don't like it. And I think that's because fans have gotten to know Henry Cavill as The Witcher for two seasons. And so they've really grown attached to that character. And honestly, I would say that is one of the similar reasons why this show unfortunately, is not going to ever be an amazing adaption. Uh, when you're playing The Witcher, uh, you're playing it as an RPG. The The player themselves gets to take control of The Witcher. They get to be The Witcher. They get to make those choices themselves. They get to decide what monsters to kill, how those monsters are killed. They get to decide who they talk to and who they romance. And I think that's something where that aspect of choice gets taken away when you put it on a TV show. Suddenly, it's the director deciding, or it's the writer deciding. And, you know, that can really be that, that sort of, like, taking away of choice can really um, mess it up as an adaption and kind of change how it is viewed by a lot of people. And I think that's one of the things that all video game adaptions have to deal with, is that mm-hmm. it's no longer as interactive as people would want. Um, but besides that, I mean, you know, still enjoyable. Cool. No, I agree with you. Uh, Ryan, same question to you. Yeah, so, you know, it's a, it's a little hard with Arcane. I think the critics loved it, obviously, given all the reviews and the awards. Um, and the audience also loved it, both new people to the series and, um, you know, the dedicated player base. I think the one thing that it kind of has going against it is that, um, you know, animated styles are generally thought as, you know, maybe more childlike. It's harder for kind of adults to get in. And that doesn't match up well with the very adult content in the show. <clears throat> And so, you know, you have very adult content in a medium that's, uh, you know, adults maybe don't necessarily enjoy as much. And so that mis- mix match kind of um, probably hurts the viewership and hurts the amount of people that the show can kind of um, draw in. And this is kind of seen by the relatively lower viewership. When you look at The Witcher, um, you know, it has around 512 million uh, streamed hours when compared to Arcane, you know, Arcane's at about a fourth of that. So even though Arcane was reviewed better and it had better ratings by everyone, it was it was more well liked by the people who watch it. It just doesn't reach quite as broad of an audience. Gotcha. That is a very honest critique, uh, my friend. Uh, now uh, we are at uh, end of our uh, podcast, so I just want to open up the floor and just give you all a chance to talk about who should watch this and why. Yeah, I'll go first uh, for Castlevania. I think it's I probably a little more niche than the other two shows. But I think it's people who are interested in gothic horror, like I think that's what to describe it is like thinking about like Buffy the Vampire Slayer meets like Attack on Titan, where it's a beautiful, you know, Japanese animation style kind of meeting these more like Western themes and Western stories. Um, so people who are kind of interested in kind of fast action, a little bit of humor, great characters, um, and ultimately just, you know, watching some people kill vampires, kill some satanic priests, kill monsters um, in a pretty fast paced setting. Well, yep. I think uh, for The Witcher, it's uh, kind of obvious as well. It's those people who enjoyed Game of Thrones, who enjoy fantasy, who really want to see uh, amazing things happen on screen, but with characters that have relatable lives, with characters that go through the similar romances and even comedic acts as they do. So I think that's uh, really will appeal to all viewers, people who've played the games, people who haven't, who are just interested in that sort of fantasy aspect. Cool. 
Yeah, and I think for Arcane, it's uh, you know people who really like visually appealing shows. Uh, it's you know it's very advanced on a technical level, uh, kind of similar to maybe a Into the Spider Verse. Um, has a very similar art style to that, and also kind of covers some some heavier themes. Um, that's not kind of your your good guy versus your bad guy, which it can can tend to be kind of common in in fantasy settings. Perfect. All right. So we are, thank you so much for joining us today. We are end of our podcast. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. Yeah, thanks, Bye. Everybody. Thank you, Bye. everyone.